Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Richard Biggs. I'm a senior associate solicitor at Erwin Mitchell, and I'll be your host today as we discuss e-scooters, the law, and the implications for those with visual impairments. To do so, I'm delighted to welcome Eric Mathis and Lewis Winton from the Royal National Institute of Blind People. Eric is a policy officer and Lewis is the regional campaigns officer. Together, we're going to discuss e-scooters' rise in popularity, the dangers they pose to users and pedestrians, and we'll give you some advice as to how to stay safe on the pavements. Now, to start, just a bit of a context. E-scooters are commonly used across the UK and are freely available to buy. Many of you listening will have seen e-scooters and noticed e-scooters um, regularly used across the roads and on pavements. But e-scooters bought privately can only be used lawfully on private land. So put another way, you're not permitted to ride an e-scooter in public unless it's rented from a government-approved scheme. Now, there are about 30 government-approved schemes across the UK, and trials began of these schemes in July 2020. So in summary, it's legal for anyone to buy an e-scooter, but illegal to use it on a public road. Many people, I think, aren't familiar with the rules, and and we'll see many people riding e-scooters that won't realise that they can't be used legally on a public road. Now, the government are due to legislate on e-scooter use, and on the 10th of May 2022, the then Prince Charles announced in, in the Queen's speech that the government will improve transport across the United Kingdom, delivering safer and cleaner services and enabling more innovations. And Grant Shapps, who is the then Transport Secretary, identified that the use of private e-scooters on roads would soon be permitted under a change in the law. At the moment, we're still waiting to hear what the government plans are going to be. The government haven't formally announced uh, the policies behind the e-scooter to use, but we suspect that in 2023, we'll see e-scooters being legalised on public roads. But there are concerns over e-scooter uses, and we're seeing a real dangerous and and very concerning rise in e-scooter accident statistics. So, for example, in 2021, there was a 194% increase in people injured through e-scooter accidents compared with the same uh, period in 2020. Reported collisions involving e-scooters leapt from 460 in 2020 to 1,352 in 2021. And last year in 2021, tragically, 12 people died and more than 900 people were injured in collisions involving e-scooters. So there's estimated at the moment to be around a million e-scooters sold in the UK to date, but that's estimated to sharply rise over the coming years. So e-scooter use and accidents in particular are a problem in London, and it's estimated that e-scooter accidents rose by 2,800% in London alone in 2021. And it's not just pedestrians and road users that that are in danger as well. E-scooter riders are in danger too because uh, September 2022 saw a tragic case of a 53-year-old man killed when a car struck his e-scooter. Now, research shows that a pedestrian hit by an e-scooter travelling at over 15 miles per hour could be killed. The majority of e-scooter accidents at the moment, about 60%, are in London. But we're seeing a rise across the UK in e-scooter accidents. In 2021, the Met Police in London seized over 3,600 e-scooters, which are being used privately. So a real problem there. But as I say, a problem that's uh, starting to to spread across the country very quickly. I'm going to have a chat with Eric and Lewis and talk about their experiences and understand just what e-scooter use means for members of the RNIB. So Lewis, to you, first of all, if I may. So what do you think the difficulties are faced by RNIB members caused by e-scooters? 
Yeah, thank you, Richard. Um, so in terms of blind and partially sighted people, um, unfortunately, there's lots of challenges which e-scooters present to, to, to our uh, customers and service users. Now, um, un understandably, we know the built environment can always be a challenge for blind and partially sighted people. But with e-scooters themselves, um, one of the big barriers and the big challenge is the fact that there's no consistent audio. Um, so blind and partially sighted people, when they're going about their daily lives, um, having very, very close encounters with e-scooters, um, there's not that audio sound. So when navigating that built environment, um, they're having lots of collisions um, and they are causing a lot of anxiety and concern to blind and partially sighted people. Of course, um, if, for example, lots of anecdotal evidence, um, lots of direct evidence when I work here in the Northeast as a regional campaigns officer, um, lots of our customers and service users telling us just doing, you know, everyday tasks such as going to the, you know, the supermarkets or going to a, to a medical appointment. You know, there's e-scooters laid across the pedestrian highways, um, e-scooters which are being driven on pavements, which we know is currently illegal. Um, you know, there's been lots of blind and partially sighted people who've had very near misses. There's been lots of blind and partially sighted people who've had collisions with these scooters. And if we think about it, if we put some context behind it, like you mentioned, Richard, um, working within the parameters that we have from the Department for Transport at the moment, e-scooters can be a maximum weight of 55 kilograms. Thinking about your average adult in the United Kingdom who may weigh something along the lines of 75 to 80 kilograms, um, these e-scooters can go 15.5 um, miles per hour. Um, you know, if, if you combine that total, you've got 130 kilograms traveling at 15.5 miles per hour. It is a recipe for disaster. And unfortunately, there has been many collisions, but the feedback that we're getting from customers and service users that they're causing a lot of anxiety. Um, and we really do need to work with the Department for Transport to three key issues, really. Um, we need responsible riding, responsible parking and we need strict and robust enforcement. Um, but yeah, there's been lots of concerns, but we'll do our best to work with within the parameters to work with all of the e-scooter providers across the United Kingdom at the moment, because ultimately we, we want to make e-scooters inclusive. We want to make the built environment inclusive and accessible for blind and partially sighted people. Thank you, Lewis. It's very interesting talking about respons taking responsibility and that inclusivity um, with some really helpful guidance. And Eric, if I'll come to you if I may. So what guidance do the RNIB provide specifically um, to members regarding e-scooters? Well, we actually are providing not just um, guidance to blind and partially sighted people, but also to local authorities that were considering e-scooter trials at the beginning of 2020 and to the e-scooter operators themselves. So with Guide Dogs and the Thomas Pocklington Trust and other sight loss sector organisations, we clubbed together to make sure that the advice we were giving was consistent, you know, across all, all visually impaired kind of organisations and across the country so that we were doing the best we could in terms of, like Lewis says, the um, things about parking about responsible riding, about how to make the e-scooters as accessible as possible for pedestrians who can't necessarily see them coming and you can't hear them coming when they're so silent. So there's lots of um, specifics in terms of, like I say, parking, um, the appearance of the e-scooters themselves. Some of them have running lights. Some of them are very like fluorescent colours. We're hoping that the, you know, the ID numbers um, specific to each scooter can be as like big and clear as possible so that people who maybe are partially sighted like me have some chance of actually being able to identify a particular one if they've had an incident, a collision or a near miss or something like that. Thanks, Eric. And the, the point you mentioned actually about uh, being able to identify uh, users is particularly important because I asked for a number of clients who were in, involved in very serious accidents 
and identifying the correct defendants, of course, is key. And it's very obvious in a motor uh, motor accident because you can take a vehicle registration number or swap insurance details, but but that's much less obvious in accidents involving e-scooters where the, the rider might not be identified. And of course, there's no usual mark or registration of the e-scooter. So thank you. So Lewis, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned about anecdotal evidence in your first answer. Are there any recent experiences you could share um, as reported by your members about uh, incidents involving e-scooters? Yes, there certainly is. And I can give some direct examples from from my own personal experience. And um, I was recently in Sunderland um, working with lots of our customers. And the irony of it is we were actually attending the Sunderland Disability Independent Advisory Board meeting. And it really was the blind leading the blind. So I'm visually impaired myself. And I was actually supporting one of our uh, one of our volunteers as well, who has a lot of low vision. Now, we actually walk into the city hall to attend that meeting, uh, just going along the pedestrian highway and literally coming flying around the corner was an e-scooter, which very, very nearly hit um, our volunteer. Now, that in itself was, you know, a very, very, very near miss. Now, to contextualize this, this particular answer, this lady was in her mid-70s, um, an elderly lady, had uh, very reduced mobility. So if that e-scooter hit that lady, that would have been very, very dangerous and potentially would have ended up in a visit to the hospital. We had a recent example in Newcastle where one of our volunteers uh, was just going out to the, the local shopping centre. Unfortunately, there was a, a number of e-scooters um, littered across the pedestrian highway. Our volunteer was trying to navigate to the shopping centre and unfortunately tripped over that e-scooter, which resulted in that person have a, having a rather large bruise on their leg and feeling you know, a lot of discomfort for the days ahead. I think not just the kind of the physical impact as well, but it's also the psychological impact of, you know, raising anxiety levels and the complications that blind and partially sighted people have, having that negative impact on confidence as well. And lots of things that we hear each and, you know, every day from different parts of the country as well, is that these e-scooters are proven to be a real challenge for blind and partially sighted people. And it's absolutely paramount that RNIB, sector partners, uh, work with the DFT, work with the trial operators to make sure we can make them as inclusive as they possibly can be. Thank you, Lewis. And Eric, I wanted to, to ask you, I talked earlier about a number of, of the accidents being in London in particular, a large proportion of, of the accident statistics are, are taken from London. And that's because, of course, there are more e-scooters in London at the moment as part of the government back scheme. But in your experience, do you think e-scooter use is um, a national problem or do you see it in certain regions at the more local level? As far as I can tell, we're seeing the same kinds of problems reported across the country and nowhere seems to be free of them um, because there are different trials happening. Some local authorities and some um, e-scooter operators have had better relationships than others, maybe with the general public or with disability specific organizations than others. Um, but there isn't really a, there isn't anywhere that you could say is kind of free of these problems. Is that your experience too, Lewis? It's a, a national problem. It certainly is, yeah, and completely echo the thoughts of Eric that unfortunately is a bit of a postcode lottery when it comes to kind of that relationship with the trial and you know the local authority um, and how inclusive that scheme is. But as I said, it's um, it's something which is you know replicated right throughout the United Kingdom, and that's why it's paramount that we get robust legislation from the Department for Transport. And I think we acknowledge that e-scooters are here to stay, um, but for e-scooters to, to be here to stay and for them to become um, you know a, a mode of transport which is inclusive for everybody, um, we have to make sure that the, the the findings and that we work with the DFT to to feedback of our concerns um, and that these concerns are overcome. Thank you. Now, I wanted to ask you both. I'll come to you first of all, Eric, if I may. But um, Lewis just mentioned there about the need for robust legislation, the need to be inclusive uh, for all. And I just want to, to make it clear, perhaps to anybody listening, that 
this isn't an anti-e-scooter podcast by any stretch of the, the, the imagination. We want to, to find a solution that works for all. And that might be, as, as Lewis explains, through robust legislation or, or through good organisation and, and planning and structure and government guidance. But what do you think, Eric, in particular, needs to change uh, at the moment to make e-scooters safer to use on the road? So we have a number of recommendations that we're looking at making to the to the government and um, the DFT. Uh, first of all, we think they should review the technical standards of e-scooters, like Lewis was saying before about the weight and the power and the speed that rental e-scooters are permitted in England is higher than it is in other European cities that already have e-scooters. And we're really concerned that, um, you know, the the potential for collisions and, and near misses is higher as the power and the speed increase. We're also really interested in go-slow go areas that have been part of some of the trials um, where places like hospitals and schools, other areas high in vulnerable pedestrians have been kind of, the, the limit of the e-scooter speeds have been lowered there so that that can't go as fast around areas that are more likely to have these more dangerous collisions and, and near misses. Our next recommendation would be that for the rental e-scooters to... Um, if the, if the rental e-scooter schemes are going to continue, we'd hope for them to be docked in proper parking bays, not let, able to obstruct the pavement. Um, we really think that it looks like you can park something like 12 e-scooters, is my understanding, in the space of one car parking space. So it definitely seems like it's worthwhile to devote a small amount of car parking for a large amount of e-scooters to keep the pavements clear. We hear all the time at RNIB about how important it is to have uncluttered pavements for blind and partially sighted people to safely get around independently. And then the government needs to clarify where any changes in the law are going to apply in Great Britain because the e-scooter trials are only happening in England. But any changes in the law on e-scooters, it looks like, would also apply in Scotland and Wales, where no trials have been done. And we don't want to be left with even more of a kind of patchwork of laws, adding to the confusion that there already is around the legality of e-scooter use. Thanks, Eric. I agree as a solicitor. The need for a consistency of, of approach and uh, consistency of regulations is absolutely paramount. I, I just wanted to follow up as well, Eric. At, at the moment, my understanding is there's no uniform reporting system in, in place. Would one help? Do you think one should be in, in place and then necessary? Yeah, this will, will form another one of our recommendations. Um, with it being all different local authorities running trials with different e-scooter operators, there isn't any consistency in things like sounds, like Lewis was talking about before. We'd hope that an e-scooter would make a recognisable sound, and for that to work, it would have to be uniform. You wouldn't want to have to learn a dozen different ones so that every city you go to, you can spot the e-scooters. And in the same way, a reporting system shouldn't be specific to where you are. If you happen to be visiting another city, like I was yesterday, I saw a lot of e-scooters. I have no idea what brand they were. I'd have no idea where to start. Um, if I was trying to report, you know, the near miss I had and things like that, what we really need is a single system that's accessible, including to blind and partially sighted people. So if there's going to be an app or a website, there should be something like a telephone number as well, because more blind and partially sighted people are what we call digitally excluded than the general population. Few of us are able to and have access to the, using the Internet and smartphones and that kind of thing. So you want to make sure that the that anyone can report an incident if they are unlucky enough to have such a thing um, without having to jump through all these hoops that we're worried would keep numbers down and make people think there aren't that many complaints when the real issue is that the complaints aren't able to be heard. 
Thanks, Eric. And I wanted to come to you as well, Lewis, to, to gain your expertise, really. What do you think needs to change in particular to make e-scooters safer to use on the road? Um, I think in terms of making e-scooters safer on the roads, there's two key components here. And I think that's education and awareness. I think one of my uh, personal concerns as at present, um, e-scooter riders, um, they're required to have a, dri a provisional driving license or a full driving license. However, um, they're not actually required and it's not mandatory for them to undertake a, a, a CBT-like training course. Um, so somebody that's the age of 16 could apply for a provisional driving license, then that makes them eligible to go and then drive an e-scooter without having any training or any knowledge of the highway code. So that in itself it poses its own problems. Um, if you think about somebody driving an e-scooter on the carriageway that has no knowledge of the traffic systems, no knowledge of junctions, no knowledge of that they can't drive on pedestrian highways. So that in itself causes a big challenge and a big concern. I think just going back to what I mentioned regarding education and awareness and the fact that you, you rightly mentioned, Richard, that it's not an anti-e-scooter podcast, but it's about raising awareness of the barriers and challenges that we face. Here in the Northeast, I've been working with different operators to do lots of community events. So throughout Road Safety Week, we've done a safe scoot event, and that was to raise awareness of the challenges that blind and partially sighted people face here in the Northeast. And we did that by working with the operator, going along, taking along our simulation specs, engaging with the general public, giving them an insight to what it's like to live with sight impairment, breaking down the barriers, breaking down those misconceptions and raising awareness of the challenge that we face if they leave e-scooters, you know, parked across pedestrian highways, if they drive irresponsibly, if they park irresponsibly. But again, it's having that engagement, making sure that it's a consistent approach across England and across the United Kingdom, make sure that all e-scooter providers are engaging with local stakeholder groups to make sure that the barriers that are there can be overcome. Um, but again, I think the two key factors which underpin this particular question would be education and awareness raising. So from my viewpoint as a solicitor, um, if a pedestrian is injured uh, by an e-scooter, generally they have a remedy against the e-scooter rider, uh, provided the e-scooter rider was negligent. Uh, of course, the, there may be a problem as to whether the e-scooter rider is insured. But just turning that on its head, an e-scooter rider who's struck by a, a car or, or anything else may find themselves in difficulty pursuing a case. So there's a defence called ex turpi, which means illegality. And if you're involved in, in an illegal act, you generally cannot, cannot pursue a successful case. And for an e-scooter rider, if they're riding on a pavement, for example, when uh, e-scooters must be ridden on roads and not pavements, it may well be they're acting illegally. They may be uninsured, which may be illegal. So they may find themselves very sadly unable to pursue any remedy uh, if involved in an accident, which wasn't their own fault. Um, helmets are not compulsory on e-scooters either, which uh, is, I find, staggering and, uh, and very concerning as well. If an e-scooter rider was riding an e-scooter and was involved in an accident, and not wearing a helmet, they may be found uh, partly to blame for the injuries that they suffered as well. So uh, the situation is, is far from straightforward. Now, before we go, I just want to come back to, to you, Eric and Lewis, to see if you've got any key takeaways from today. So, Eric, over to you, first of all. Yeah, I'd just like to say that um, RNAB recognised that e-scooters help combat climate change and promote active travel. We're absolutely on board with that. We just maintain this should not come at the expense of blind and partially sighted people's ability to make walking journeys independently. Thank you. And you're absolutely right. The cost of living crisis with the rising petrol prices in particular means there's an inevitable rise uh, in other forms of transport, such as e-scooters uh, or bikes. Uh, but it's uh, in particular, it shouldn't be at the cost of uh, 
uh, of safety. Over to you, Lewis, if there's any takeaways from today. Yeah, just a, a really quick one for me, Richard. Um, just a, a pledge to all e-scooter riders out there, you know, family or friends. If you are, you know, endorsing this new mode of transport, then please be mindful that people out there, such as blind and partially sighted people, find it difficult to navigate the built environments. So please ride responsibly. Please park responsibly. Um, but most importantly, please look after each other and have safety in mind. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then please do join us for our next episode. Stay safe.